Welcome to Business Lens, broadcast on WKXL, available wherever you get your podcasts. And by the way, if you're listening to us on a podcast on one of the many, many platforms where you can find us, please do us a favor, give us a rating, give us a review, a five-star review, if at all possible. It really does help us out. Speaking of getting helpful information, I've got Chris Hill here, as with every week. He's the host of Motley Fool Money, the number one stock investing radio show in America, and the go-to source for useful, entertaining, interesting, informative, and uh, downright, uh, well, I, I was I was going to make promises of returns that I guess I can't keep. Don't do listening, that. Listening to this show will not necessarily make you richer, but it will make you wiser. So Chris Hill, thanks for being here to share some of your wisdom with us. Pleasure to be here as always. So we were spitballing a little bit about what to talk about this week. And as always, there's just so many places we could go, but I know it's, it's like catnip for you. These, these big media company moves and how they're investing in the future, because you know, it, 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 it just, it speaks to a lot of where the action in our economy is. And you were, you were pointing out, some stuff going on with AT&T and Discovery and the deal they're striking and kind of what it says to you about those companies and the larger economy. So tell us more about it. So we've been talking recently, you and I, about all the acquisitions that companies have been making, how there is so much money in the market that companies are able to make large acquisitions. Microsoft can spend $10, $15 billion without batting an eye. Um, but I just want to make sure our listeners know, just because large companies spend lots of money on acquisitions doesn't mean they always work out. Sometimes they result in a large company spending billions of dollars and basically lighting it on fire, which brings us to AT&T. Which, oh, I thought you were going to say AOL Time Warner, but go on. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, we're, we're, not, we're not far off from that, but it's, it's AT&T three years ago spending somewhere in the neighborhood of $85 billion to get the... Time Warner media assets to get CNN and TNT, TBS, Cartoon Network, all these things. And the case that AT&T made to Uncle Sam, because this was a deal that um, needed regulatory approval and got more than um, a couple of close-up looks from the federal government, um, but also made the case to shareholders like, hey, look, this is going to be a great deal. We're AT&T. We're a broadband company. We're a wireless company. We've got all these customers. And now we're going to have all this content that we can serve up to them. This is, this is synergy. And here we are three years later, and AT&T basically admitted this did not work at all. So what they did was came out this week, John Stanky, the CEO of AT&T, got together with David Zasloff, who's the CEO of Discovery, and basically they created a new entity. AT&T basically spun out the media assets. They're going to be combined with Discovery. And what it means for AT&T shareholders is they will own the majority of this resulting company. But the rosy scenario, the best, best case scenario is this is a legitimately strong competitive threat to Netflix and Disney Plus, because you've got CNN, TNT, TBS, Cartoon Network, HBO, HBO Max, combine that with HGTV, 
the Food Network, all of the Discovery channels, um, along with a lot of intellectual property that lives within that Time Warner universe. So if you're a fan of superhero movies, um, the DC comics, you know, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, all of those franchises live within this new entity. Um, that's the best case scenario. It becomes a legitimate threat. Um, but I watched the um, sort of the unveiling of this earlier this week on CNBC. Um, it was a great interview with the two CEOs. And I got to say, if I, were, <laughs> if I were a shareholder, I would not be confident. It was actually interesting to see how shares of Discovery Communications while the interview was going on were actually falling as the CEO was talking about how Look, he's, he's speaking in a very aspirational way. He said, we're going to be the best media company in the world. We're going to be the number one. We have the best media intellectual property. But then he kept dropping names of shows from HBO that are at least 10 years old. And in some cases, 15. It's like, he's like, we have, you know, world-class IP. We've got, you know, DC Comics, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. We've got Entourage. And I just thought, wait, Entourage? That you're, you're, you're name-checking Entourage as we've got the best intellectual property. We've got sex in the city. Okay, well, if this were 2003, that would be more compelling. So I, they have their work cut out for them. I'm not rooting against them. Um, and it, 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 as you said, I'm always fascinated in the world of media, whether it's news media or entertainment media, and this is both. Um, one, two years down the line, um, this could be an absolute home run if they do this right. This could also be a complete dumpster fire. Why don't the combinations of platform and content work all the time? Because in theory, it sure sounds like those are two businesses you'd want to be in and they seem to have synergy. You want to be in the business of owning the platform over which people are accessing content. And hey, while you're at it, you'd love to own that content. It's sort of like the way some utilities, and this is still the way it is for electric utilities in some states, used to be able to own the wires and the generation of the electrons that you are getting over those wires. Then we went through deregulation and that's not the case anymore in some states. But if you can own both, it seems like a really powerful combination. But it seems like it did not work for AT&T. So why didn't it work in that case? And why doesn't it just work all the time? It's a great question because you're right. On paper, it should work. And every time we have a deal like this, though, you know, that word synergy, um, which often is used as a punchline, but it, but it it does get used. And if you're taking it at face value, it, again, on paper, it should work. I think one of the reasons it doesn't work or, or rarely works is because both of those businesses are expensive to maintain. So let's take a business like Netflix. Netflix is in the business of content creation. They're going to spend somewhere in the neighborhood of, I think, $18 billion over the next 12 months just to create content, to make movies, to make TV shows. And they get to own that content. And therefore, if it works out, it should be more valuable to them down the line. Um, but that's an expensive business. Um, you know, David Zaslav from Discovery talked about how they are committed to spending 
money on content creation. And that's great. Um, but again, that's the, they're talking about spending $20 billion. You could look at a business like Comcast. Comcast is in sort of the, you know, the pipes business. We're going to bring the broadband to your house. And um, that can be a profitable business. But they also own content. They own NBC Universal. So they own NBC, NBC, MSNBC, uh, NBC Sports. They've got the rights to, you know, the, the next, I don't know, the next 16 years worth of Olympic Games, something like that. You know, so so again, they're really tough businesses to run because they're both so expensive. And there is a point at which they are competing with one another, or I should say they have competing interests. If you are uh, the director of programming for NBC, you want the highest ratings possible because you're in the ad business. But if you're running Comcast, part of you is, you know, going over to NBC and saying, hey, wait, can you create some exclusive, com you know, content just that we run on Comcast or just that we run on Peacock or that sort of thing. So there are always these competing interests within these companies, the larger they get. It's interesting. I, I also suspect, but let me run this by you, that when it comes to these platforms, and I'm about to get a little weedy here, and I might be a little bit wrong. So you set me right. But what you're talking about when you say the pipes delivery business, what you're essentially saying is there are networks through which we get our electrons for our electricity, or we get our gas for our heat and our cooking, or we get our broadband for our everything in our lives these days. And those networks are subject to network economics, to economies of scale, which is why they're heavily regulated businesses in America. We have franchises and in essence, it, it's a deal that, that these businesses get. You're regulated. And that means you get to make a profit. You get to have a local monopoly in many cases, but you also have limitations on how much profit you can make and the ways that you do business. And you frequently have to run the, the choices you make as a business by some kind of public service or public utilities commission. And there's a very different culture, mindset, and style of doing business than the highly innovative, entrepreneurial, tech-heavy content creation sector, which is dominated by these, you know, Netflixes of the world. Is there a basic cultural clash that not just in the interests of the way you, you have to do business in an in a regulated and an unregulated space, but also the very way you think about going to market and the, the line of work that you're in. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of those businesses is very, maybe regimented is, is uh, too strong a word, but um, uh, there are a lot of protocols and it's pretty straightforward. Um, what success looks like is relatively easy to understand and everyone understands it. Um, what makes for great content? Uh, you know, you can read um, any year, you can read a story about a surprise Hollywood hit or a surprise Hollywood flop. Um, and uh, that's part of what makes uh, the world of, of movies and television interesting, I think, is that there are these things that, are, you know, who, who would have thought? Who, you know, if someone, you know, if you're running Netflix and someone came to you and said, Matt, I got an idea. It's going to be the biggest hit you've got 
on your platform. It's about a girl who plays chess. Like, like on paper, Queen's Gambit is not a hit show. <laughs> um, so I think I, I, you're absolutely right about the, the clash of culture. Um, it's one of those things that makes investing both interesting and also challenging because culture is not really something that shows up on the balance sheet. It's really hard to quantify. Um, but companies that have great cultures, particularly creative cultures, um, they, you know, they're worth their weight in gold in terms of what that means for returns for shareholders. There is a saying in business that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And it really is interesting that you can do all the, you know, MBA style, that's master's in business administration, not national basketball association style analysis of, uh, of lines of business and a lot of financial analysis and all that. But at a certain level, as you have reminded our listeners over and over again on, on your show and on this show, a lot really does come down to these intangible qualities of, of culture and creativity and how you think your business. And it, it's just really interesting that at the very highest level, when you're talking about multi-billion dollar corporations, these mergers, these lines of business, these spinoffs, a lot of it does come down to these ineffable, intangible qualities, which leads me to my next question to you, which is, there is a, this line of business that we just outlined that frequently becomes regulated because it's subject to these network economics um, where economies of scale and being part of the network, you know, you're not going to build two electric distribution systems in the same city. Why would you? It doesn't make sense. So there's a natural monopoly involved. So that's one line of business. And my economics professor 25 years ago in college said, hey, if you're a business in America, you know what your number one most profitable strategic move to make would be? Become a regulated monopoly because you have a guaranteed rate of return. It's the only business in America, this is hyperbole, but it's the only business in America where you earn a 10% profit every time you redecorate your office. Not really true, but illustratively, it's true. On the other hand, you have this dynamic, creative, wildly successful area of business, which is content creation, where, you know, the most gaudily priced stock market entities out there, I mean, there's a lot of them are social media and tech companies, but they overlap significantly with these content creation companies. So the question to you, Chris Hill, from an investing perspective is, when you look ahead over the time horizon that you usually consider for investing, which general line of business would you rather invest in? Which line of business would you rather be in? Would you rather own the platform or would you rather be in the content creation business? If we're talking about media and entertainment, I would rather invest in the entertainment side, uh, the content creation side of it. Um, I think, you know, if you're looking at other industries, if you're looking at software, software as a service, that sort of thing, um, uh, or digital payments, the, then I'm, I'm more interested in the platforms. But when it comes to media and entertainment, uh, I would much rather invest in, in the people who are creating it because the people, it, it has this um, flywheel effect. You know, the people who are really good at hiring talented people, whether it's showrunners or directors, whatever, um, that, that has this great network effect. Um, Ted Sarandos um, uh, at Netflix, I think is a great example of that. I think Kevin Feige at Disney, 
um, the guy who basically oversees the entire Marvel universe, Kevin Feige, whatever Kevin Feige is being paid, it's not enough. Uh, for all the value he has brought to that company and, and will continue to bring to that company. So no, I, I'm, I'm more interested in those. So, and, and you make a distinction there between platforms that are physical platforms, right? Like you own the pipes yes. versus platforms that are essentially software driven platforms. So for example, you could easily define Facebook as a platform in that regard. And they're certainly subject to a lot of those same network economics. There's certainly a, a, a segment of economists and analysts who would call Facebook almost like a natural monopoly, almost like you know one of these entities that, that should be regulated as a utility. Uh, absolutely, and I think I, I think we've seen this in in other areas as well. You know, you look at um, you look at a business like Etsy, which is sort of this specialty uh, retail platform. Um, there are other specialty retail platforms out there. It's just that Etsy um, got to the point where the network effects started to work in its favor in a really big way. Which is to say that if you were going to set up a shop, you want to set up a shop where on a platform where there are the most sellers. And then if you're buying something, you want to go to a marketplace that has the most sellers. So people who are buying are going to Etsy because it has the most shops. People are, who are selling are setting up their shop on Etsy because it, it's got the most customers. Um, you know, we saw this uh, for a very long time with eBay and sort of online auctions. You know, there, Amazon tried the auction business and went up against eBay and failed. Now, Amazon is a much bigger and more successful company in a lot of other ways, but let history show that they tried to go up against eBay in terms of auctions and failed quickly. Well, it, it, you're, this is why we keep returning to stories like this that are in the news, in, in the business news, because they really do have so many connection points to how to think about business, the economy, investing, innovation, entrepreneurship, tech, and every other thing that we like to focus on on this show. Before I let you go, I do want to hit a subject that nominally hits all of those connection points and all of those nodes, but I think leaves a lot of us shrugging our shoulders, maybe throwing our hands up in the air a little bit, which is cryptocurrency and specifically Bitcoin. And you had a, an admission, sort of a, um, in a Catholic sense, you, you sort of unburdened yourself to me <laughs> before the show. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to do so for our listeners when it comes to Bitcoin. Sure. I mean, you asked me about get Bitcoin and I said, I don't get it. I just, I, I don't, I don't understand the use case for it. I don't, uh, you know, there, there are parts of it I understand, but I'm, I'm, you know, it's currency. I use currency, but I use the U.S. dollar. So when I actually did at some point over the last couple of years take um, a, a more in-depth look at Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, I thought, okay, am I going to use this in my own life? And I really couldn't figure out how I was going to do that. Um, and one of the things that, you know, uh, I, I've been investing in stocks for, you know, going on 30 years now. And one of the things I've gotten more comfortable with as time has gone on is being okay with the fact that there is a really hot investment idea that a lot of people are talking about that is doing really well. And I'm not involved in it at all. I am sitting on the sidelines and Increasingly over time, I'm more and more okay with that. Um, 
you know, Bitcoin has had an incredible run up. So if you bought it five years ago, as you know, I, I have friends and, and coworkers who did, um, and if they're still sitting on it, they've done very well with it. Uh, for me, it's just one of those things that I'm, I'm it's going to have to succeed or fail without me because I'm not getting involved. We've made on this show before the comparison to the Harry Potter. It's from Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. The idea of don't trust anything unless you know where it keeps its brain. And the analogy you've drawn in the business and investing world is don't trust any business unless you know how it makes its money. We've talked about that in relation to Facebook, right? And you need to be very clear about the fact that Facebook makes its money because you're not the customer as the user, you're the product. They're selling your attention and your eyeballs. And as long as you're cool with that and you really truly understand it, sure, by all means. But I definitely hear a parallel in all this when it comes to cryptocurrencies, Dogecoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin, I don't know. I, I probably could make up a few snazzy sounding words and listeners wouldn't be able to tell the difference because there's a ton of them. And they all make about the equal amount of sense, which is to say they have faddish characteristics. You know, they 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 sort of, I, yeah, I guess I can see a use if you want to interact on the dark web using universal blockchain technology to mask who you are and buy all kinds of illicit stuff. Yeah, that is a use of that. But I, I'm not sure I see the long-term economic case. And actually, there was a fascinating article from Paul Krugman, the Nobel laureate economist, who said, you know what? He doesn't really see it either. He doesn't really see the inflation, traditional currency dunking case for Bitcoin or any of these other things. There are plenty of things that have been called fads that turned out not to be fads. The internet is one of them. E-commerce is another. And the medium you and I are talking on right now, podcasts. 10 years ago, I remember talking to people at radio stations and they were saying, no, no, this podcast thing's a fad. It's not. Bitcoin may be for real. Um, it may not be a fad, but like I said, it's going to have to succeed or fail without my investment dollars. Well, if you want to make sure that this podcast is a lot more than a fad, please make sure you have subscribed and rated and reviewed this excellent podcast, if I must say so myself, and do the same for Motley Fool Money. Thanks so much. <laughs>